This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 25. Hello, my friends. This week it's another interview on a topic that might on the surface sound a little bit dry, but it's really fascinating. It's really interesting to me. And if you are a regular user of the internet, and particularly of social media on any platform, then it's going to be relevant to you too. Some of you, if you read my blog, you might remember a post I wrote a few weeks ago now talking about all the rules and regulations that are governing sponsored content online, and also for things like free products for influencers and content creators, and also about Instagram's new guidance for disclosing this. Whether you are an influencer yourself or would like to be, or maybe you've got a small business, or even you're just an avid browser of social media, how these rules are enforced and how they are interpreted can affect all of us. And I found that the details of it are not always easy to follow. So I got in touch with someone who does know all about it. His name is Pete Lewin, and he is a lawyer specializing in areas like this. So I called him up to really get into the nitty gritty of it and hear a clued up professional's take on what it all means and where it's all heading and what it is we all need to do to keep ourselves safe. Hello there, Pete. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on Hashtag Authentic. Anytime, anytime. Excellent. Well, people probably don't know much about you. So would you like to start off just by telling us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So my name is Pete Lewin uh, and I'm a video games, esports and uh, digital broadcast lawyer at a law firm in London called Pure and Partners. So boiling that down, I'm still working on the elevator pitch for my job, <laughs> but it basically means I help uh, video games companies make games. Uh, I help esports teams hire their players and event organizers run tournaments. Uh, And on the digital broadcast side, I help like YouTubers and general online influencers with anything from partnership deals to kind of regulatory matters like this, like disclosure stuff we're here to talk about. Fantastic. So I first found you guys via, it was sort of an infographic that someone in your company had put together. I think possibly you were involved with it, were you? Yes. The garish colors. uh, I'm I'm looking back on those now and wishing we hadn't gone with those colors, (laughs) but otherwise that was us. Yes. We didn't judge you. We didn't judge you for the colors. (laughs) Thank you. It was incredibly helpful. It was really clear and concise. And I shared it on a blog post that I put up kind of talking about these disclosure rules and regulations Mm. because it feels like a very amorphous, tricky ground to get a grip on at the moment yeah I mean is that your sense of it too you presumably do have a very solid grasp of it all <laughs> uh well we'll we'll see at the end of this podcast <laughs> and we, can go, we can go back and have a look at it yeah that that kind of flowchart and that six pager or how many pages it was that pdf that was the result of hours and hours and hours of like me and my boss jazz putting our heads together and thinking of like what is the simplest way you can condense these voluminous rules from across different parts of the world into a to a set of like actually actionable things to follow. So there's tons of rules, different countries, and just trying to figure them all out and piece them together and work out like the nuances. Absolutely, it's it's pretty tricky, like undeniably, yeah. And it feels like it's, because it's so new, kind of as soon as they set something down as a law or a rule that people feel like they can get a grasp on, a new form of media seems to evolve or a new way (laughs) of working. And then we have to try and work out how those rules and regulations apply to that new way of working. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the thing with these rules is they're they're actually quite like, 
they're quite not old rules, but they are kind of old relatively. And they're not really like changed to fit different types of like new media. They're, they're, they're not updated to fit Twitter, for example, but it's just that the regulators have to kind of take those existing rules and go like, oh, what the hell does that mean now that we have Twitter or Facebook? Right. So it's like the interpretation that changes, yeah, as opposed to like the rules themselves. That makes a lot of sense. And it's good to hear that kind of you guys had to wrestle with finding <laughs> out how, how to kind of present it too. Because I know after I put my blog post out, I got messages from various kind of other agencies and social media agencies saying, oh, this isn't what we, how we understand it works, or this isn't mm. our interpretation of it. So Maybe that's a good place to start and to check what I shared in my blog. I don't know if you had a chance to look over it. If I was getting the general gist of things right, if there's anything I shared that actually isn't quite accurate. So I I have read the blog post. It's it's lengthy, so you don't have to read the whole thing. (laughs) We're we're lawyers. We're fine. We like it. We like that. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, you did a fantastic job of kind of condensing down what I felt were like some of the most important parts to it. I think it's, like you say, it's really hard to to convey all of the nuance in any way. I mean, we went like flowcharty, you went kind of more texty, but I think the general gist of things is is the same. In terms of like the messages you might be getting from other organizations, I mean, everyone kind of, everyone tackles it differently. I mean, if you go and you look at Facebook's policy or YouTube's policy or Instagram's policy, they all have different approaches to it. And that's because we're really all just going, okay, how best can we interpret these rules that haven't been written for our platforms and how do we write these policies in a way which makes sense in the UK when you've got the ASA looking at it or when you've got the FTC looking at it in the States. So yeah, I think there's definitely lots of room for platforms to interpret it, which is probably why you're getting a uh, messages saying that's not quite how we do it. That's interesting. And I suppose it's interesting if people are looking for legal advice on this, that it might be an issue that they can't just go to the, the regular kind of all-round lawyer, usual legal representation for. What, what's a Snapchat? What is a Snapchat? <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is why you guys exist in a specialist niche with a real grasp on the technology. Yeah, it, de- it definitely helps. I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of a personal interest of mine. I'm very much a, a sort of product of my generation, grew up with technology. So it's, uh, it's, it's a hobby as well as a career for me. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And it, it is fascinating to see kind of the way it's evolving as media. One of the things that I picked up from from your information that you shared and from a lot of the conversations I was hearing online is this sort of ambiguity around gifted products. So we're mm-hmm. talking about influencers or content creators who are receiving something for free from a brand or a company. And I'd previously been told by a legal representative that if a product is gifted, it's not considered as payment in terms of the law. But it seems like there's some nuance to that. So could you maybe talk us through how that works a little bit? Sure. So in my eyes, pretty much when you're given something for free, I would generally just look at that as if you've been given something, like you've been given money. Right. So, I mean, there's there's different interpretations, I guess, if you want to get super legal as to whether or not something free counts as value or money or, or whatever. But for the sake of these sponsorship, these disclosure requirements... I I would say that anything free, just think of it as money. So if you're given a free video game for Let's Play, or if you're given a free jacket, then you're effectively given 60 quid or 100 quid or however much the jacket's worth. So just treat free things like payment. Okay, so that keeps it nice and clear. Although then the distinction comes in because I know on Instagram, I've just tried out the new sponsorship declaration thing that they Mm. have. And it says this is a paid collaboration with and then their name. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which yeah i suppose if we if we count product as cash yeah it's like you're getting paid you're getting paid in free goods yeah paid in some respect yeah so they're not saying paid with money technically so you just just take it next step and it's paid with jackets or whatever yeah right so i just did a collaboration with a camera company and rather than payment in cash i was paid in lovely camera goods that i wanted anyway and it actually worked really well for me mm. but yeah that's a really high value item and we see influencers who were given holidays or even cars in some examples <laughs> and that has to count, that'd be nice right? wouldn't it <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the dream but uh, yeah that has to count as as payment presumably because it's one thing if you're getting some free hair accessories for your child in exchange mm. for an instagram post but it's a scale so yeah like a way of thinking about it is is you you know when you're working for like an employer and and they don't they pay you a salary obviously but there's certain benefits they can give you like free cars or just other kind of benefits like cycle to work schemes Mm. you're 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 kind of taxed on all of that stuff because it's basically seen as a salary equivalent it's like a benefit in kind so just kind of think of it like that way like this has a value and if i was to go out and buy it myself i would have to spend my own money so the fact that you're giving it for free doesn't negate the fact that it costs somebody money. So That's a really helpful analogy. I used to, in my previous existence, work for the NHS. <laughs> and mm. in the NHS, they're really strict. So if a patient gives you a box of chocolates, you have to fill in all this paperwork to say <laughs> that, you get, that you got the chocolates. You, officially, you shouldn't even accept it. But then you have to fill in all these rooms of forms. Yeah, watch out. Watch out. You're going to get paid in <laughs> chocolate for preferential treatment. Yeah. yeah, so please don't give your NHS providers chocolates. <laughs> You're just making more work for them. So it seems that a lot of the current guidance and regulations has been written kind of with video content in mind and with YouTube. Is this because we've seen like cases come to court? Is it would it be court that looks at these or kind of brought before the ASA or is or is it more that that's just kind of been the standard so far that we've seen? Yeah, so nothing has gone back step Uh, when if there's like a violation of the disclosure rules like the asa or the ftc you you won't go to court so to speak but you'll be investigated by the relevant regulator so it's it's not so much like you turn up and there's a judge or or jury or anything like that but it's more they they send you a kind of complaint and then you send back your response and and then there's some kind of back and forth it sounds terrifying please their evidence oh no it it won't be that bad it's not that bad But you kind of submit your side of the story and then the ASA gets together all its facts and then it'll issue a, issue a ruling. So it's not as formal as going to court, but you are investigated. As to why most of it has been sort of vlog slash YouTube, internet, like online video related so far, I was trying to have a think about this. And I really didn't come up with like a really solid reason as to why that, that has been the case, like why we've seen guidance going more towards vlogs as opposed to social media. But I think it's just a case that the regulators have like limited resources. They've got limited time to investigate all this stuff. And it just so happens that video content has been the one which has been picked up first. So maybe okay. it's because they, they see videos as more like influential on, on children. Uh, maybe it's because they're like, it's harder to detect when like a video is an ad as opposed to seeing something in like a magazine or, or on Instagram. Like it might be, might be a bit easier, or at least they think it is. So there's no, there's no obvious reason, but yeah, a lot of the, guidance and like the actual investigations have been about video content so far i wonder if as well an element is that is where the big money can be so the the really kind of expensive ad campaigns have probably mainly happened on youtube Mm. so there's probably kind of a little bit more at stake for people there as well so what are the, the possible outcomes of an investigation like that if the asa do decide that there's been a violation of the code 
Yeah, so the ASA, they typically, if you're found to be in violation, they'll typically say that your video gets taken down. They'll say, don't put it up in like the current form it is again. And there typically aren't fines or or it doesn't really go beyond that you you kind of get the the slap on the wrist of saying you've done it wrong don't do it again and you get the negative pr that kind of comes with it so beyond that there's like unless you do something really bad like if you keep violating it there may be worse steps but if you like the immediate step is to just get told to take down the offending content and don't do it again and and that's generally what's been happened every time the asa has looked into something they've they've basically said take down those videos don't do it again Uh, here's the rules you have to follow going forwards. Okay, so that actually seems to be quite an understanding process. Yeah, so that's the UK. The the US is slightly different. And the FTC, the Financial Trade Commission, they typically have like the power to implement fines, but we haven't really seen any of that done publicly yet. So every time the FTC has looked into something and they found someone in breach, they've generally not imposed any fines. They've obviously said like, take down the content, don't do it again. And they usually have the power to make influencers and YouTube channels and stuff, they submit to a consent order, which is basically, they're kind of put under the watchful eye of the FTC for the next 10 years. And they basically have to report all of their like sponsored like campaigns and stuff to the FTC. And they're really just put under like a really watchful eye. So the US is a bit more rigorous than the UK. But that's not to say you should just ignore the UK ASA, you should still comply with it, because it's just bad PR if you're just not following it through. So because I do notice that brands, especially the bigger brands, are really quite rigorous in making sure that they that content is disclosed and that their influencers are doing everything, kind of ticking all the boxes. Mm. So that's the same for them. There's been no precedent of fines or anything like that. It's it's more about the negative press and, and wanting to comply. Yeah, there's there's been no public fines, at least in the kind of social media vlog video game sphere that uh, I'm aware of in either by the ASA or the FTC. Interesting. Um, and there, there's actually a really recent one. Just last week, it was about two YouTubers called uh, Pro Syndicate and T Martin. They, they were involved in some uh, promotion of online gambling stuff, this gambling website that they ran, and they hadn't disclosed it properly. And there was a big uh, internet furor over it, and uh, everyone got very angry. They were investigated by the FTC because they weren't disclosing their own, the fact that they owned the website, that they were uh. telling everyone to go play. And even in that case, they there were no fines issued it was very much just a don't do it again here are the rules follow them from now and we're going to keep an eye on you for the next 10 years so even really recently we haven't seen fines okay so that should be quite reassuring to people who are finding these rules a little bit tricky to navigate and and not quite clear that they're always doing the right thing Mm. does intent make a difference do you think if they saw a case where somebody had very deliberately not disclosed that they might come down harder on people or is it really kind of the precedent at the moment just seems to be the same for everybody i i yeah i'd say the precedent just Everyone, ignorance isn't an excuse. So yeah. if you don't know that you should have disclosed, you'll still get still get in trouble. Uh, if you intentionally try to like circumvent this stuff, so say a brand put in their deals with their influencers, like do not disclose this, do not disclose your financial relationship, then that would obviously look pretty bad if it, if it came <laughs> yeah. to like the FTC because they they would look at the contracts between the brands and the influencers and they would they would see that it had that clause in there saying basically break the rules and they they would not take kindly on that so no. yeah intentionally doing it probably would make it worse yeah undoubtedly one of the things that kind of came up in a lot of the conversations i was having with other people online about this is this this sort of it's fairly well known i think the precedent in print media 
where things like the ad spaces, so say in a glossy magazine, a cosmetic company might buy ad space on the proviso that, for example, the brand's products will be featured in reviews and endorsed. But those types of endorsements are never disclosed as Mm. advertorial. Do you think that the pressures on influencers are greater to be transparent? Or do you think, is this to do with like the fact that print media just has a bigger budget to kind of tackle any legal issues? Or like, how is this, how are the differences kind of manifesting? It's a really woolly question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So I'm not uh, like that familiar with the precedent you you mentioned. So it's uh, it's kind of news to me. It's not my uh, my domain. My domain sure. is the internet. But if I had to sort of hazard a guess, I would say it's because people probably are just judged to be more aware they're being marketed to when they're reading a magazine or when they're re- reading a newspaper. They they typically know that if you see a big a big old perfume ad or if you see some, you know, something which is obviously an ad. I think we're just more used to knowing that we're being sold to uh, in magazines and newspapers. So that's why you don't typically have to disclose stuff there. Whereas online, we're seeing a bunch of sort of YouTube channels that make content, which kind of looks like they're just living their regular lives. And it's, it's really hard to tell if someone makes a sponsored video that looks like they're like 95% of their other videos, which aren't sponsored, but the sponsored one looks really similar to it. I think it's it's that which is why we're seeing all the focus here, because it's really hard to tell when you're being advertised to in a video or in a Facebook post or Instagram, whereas in a newspaper or a magazine, it's it's not really hard to tell. You can typically see, you you know, it's an advertisement just, just from, you know, we all read magazines and know that. Yeah, never trust a magazine review of anything because <laughs> they've usually been sent it for free or mm. been kind of elbowed into reviewing it positively, I find. Yeah. So no, I'm not that familiar with it. If you had any idea in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense though, that that it's really about transparency and it's about making sure that kind of people are erring on the side of caution, I suppose. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Absolutely right. You you pretty much summed up the entire essence of these rules in that last sentence you said. You should just be transparent and err on the side of caution if you're ever in doubt. Th- those are golden rules. And that's that's because the whole point of these rules, whether we're talking about the ASA or whether we're talking about the FTC, it's 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 to protect the public from unscrupulous advertisers getting in there and, and selling to you subconsciously or, or without you knowing it. So it's really just to make people aware. And that is the way you should approach it when you're asking yourself, do I need to disclose this? Then I think you should be asking yourself, well, if it came to light that people found out I was getting paid for it, would they be a bit annoyed by that? Mm-hmm. Like if, if your audience found out that you've been paid £10,000 to make this video of you having a great time in Barbados. If it turns out you've been paid, would they kind of think less of the opinion you're giving about Barbados? Would they be like, oh, well, that, that kind of changes my opinion a bit. And that's that's really the way to, to think about it. It's a soft rule of thumb, but that's how I kind of approach it. I like it. So do you think it's it's possible that the rules will be updated in future? Or is it going to continue in this way of kind of using the established rules and just interpreting them and applying them in more and more specific ways to the way media is evolving. Yeah, I think I think that's that's what we're going to see. It's just going to be the guidance which changes. So the ASA is going to put out a new blog post, which no longer is just restricted to Pinterest and Instagram or whatever. But it's going to have whatever the next the next thing is. It slotted in next to everyone. They're 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 pretty much all going to be judged by the same set of rules, but how they're applied to each platform might be slightly different. But that'll come in the guidance 
issued by each regulator and the rules will stay the same. That makes sense. And you mentioned, obviously, that there are different rules in different countries. So like the US seems to take a a slightly firmer stance. What Mm. obligations do we have if our content is being created in one country, but obviously being shared globally? Yeah, this this is one of the the short answer is you really should, strictly speaking, you, you should make sure your content complies with the rules of wherever it's going. Wow. Yeah, and that that's the usual reaction is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I make my content here in England, and now I've got to make it like comply with like Turkish law or something. Yeah. So that is the rule. Those are the rules. You you really should make it comply with wherever you're putting it, and that kind of makes sense if you see it from the regulator's point of view, because they're there to protect American consumers, and the ASA is to protect UK consumers. So they don't really care where the advertisement is like coming from, because they're there to protect their country's consumers. Right. So you kind of see it where they're coming from. But you'd go crazy if you tried to comply with every set of rules around wherever your content was available. Because if you put your video on YouTube, then you've got to comply with however many worldwide rules. So don't necessarily have to do that. And I'd say best practice is to just strike a kind of reasonable balance. Find out maybe where your biggest markets are. So if you know your content is like viewed a ton in Germany, in the UK, in the States, like get a grasp of those rules, try as best you can to comply with with those as opposed to just sticking to your home territory. So yeah, as an example, the, the UK has got really, well, the UK and the US, they're like sometimes more strict than other in different respects. So I would say find the the most onerous, like the one which makes you give most disclosure and I would comply with, I would generally comply with that one. So find the, the highest denominator, if that makes sense. Yes, the highest standard. And that goes back to your point of just playing it, playing it safe, air on the side of caution, because at the end of the day, you don't want to get flubbed up just because uh, you didn't put it in your video title when you should have. Yeah, we don't want to be reporting to the American authorities for the next decade. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to unintentionally like, scaremonger everyone because one of the other things I should have said is you're at most risk of being picked up by your own regulator. Right, of course. So so while you technically should comply with like American disclosure requirements, you're most likely going to get picked up by the regulator of your home country. So it, we'd get picked up by the ASA, someone in the States by the FTC. Saudi Arabia are probably not going to come after us. Well, well if they do, then... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have some studying to do. <laughs> so so at least comply with your home territory because they're the ones that'll pick you up the most probably, but it doesn't hurt to to comply with your other main markets. Okay, that's a really nice rule of thumb. Do you think there's that liability insurance or anything is something that content creators or influencers need to be looking at? Does such a thing exist for things like this? Oh, so I predominantly work in the video games industry and getting insurers to understand video games, like how a video games company works is is difficult enough. <laughs> so I think if you were a professional like influencer and you were, you were going to get insurance to cover you against uh, anything like this, it, it would be really tricky. Right. So probably not. Maybe for like the super big celebrities, maybe. But I think it would be difficult to even get that then. And also because fines aren't typical, then right. like, you don't necessarily need insurance because hopefully you're not going to be paying out anything. So it's possible, but I don't think uh, it's necessary. That's good to hear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely not something I was ready to tackle. Is there anything else then that you would advise influencers or content creators either at quite a low level or or at that high level kind of celebrity status end that they should be doing that they need to be mindful of? Yeah. So one of the things we said is ignorance is not an excuse. So generally familiarize yourself with this stuff. I know it's 
it's really hard to parse through a talk because there's so much. The ASA is actually it's actually getting pretty good now. They've they've got some really good blog posts, like short blog posts, which tell you different rules when they apply to vloggers. They recently put out some stuff to find out whether or not your social media post is considered uh, an advertisement. And they're doing what they can to condense it all into a place that's actually readily accessible. So learn the rules the best you can. That's important. That's great. And I will find those posts and link to them in the show notes for people because that sounds like they'll make for an interesting read. Yeah, I've got some hyperlinks. I can uh, I can send you them. They'd be wonderful. It's up to the influencers and the brands to disclose these things. So don't just rest uh, on your laurels. Like if you're doing a collaboration with another company, it's their responsibility. It's not. So the one that I was talking about last week, the FTC investigation, that was the first time they've actually gone after the individual influencers. <sighs> so they're very much at risk of being picked up on these things. Another thing is affiliate marketing, which is a fancy way of saying if, if you use affiliate links, mm-hmm. which is when you, you have a link on your Facebook page or whatever. And if someone clicks on it to buy a product that you're promoting, then the the person, the influencer gets a cut of those sales. So if I make a tweet and I say like, oh, I really love Lenovo laptops and I include an affiliate link, someone goes through and buys an, a Lenovo laptop, then I'll get a cut of that money. Right. And they're pretty prominent as well. And they are also subject to different disclosure requirements. So if you use any of these affiliate links, it's it's another form of advertising, but the rules there are slightly different. So don't include affiliate links without disclosing it properly, but the disclosure requirements are a bit different. Okay, maybe we can find some links for people to, if they want to do a bit more reading on that, yeah, that one as yeah. well, because I know a lot of people will be using them. So it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, I can imagine it's not always practical to disclose in exactly the same way per tweet. But Yeah, and two more things. If you've got an audience, you're not just uh, open to like advertising stuff. You've, you've got a whole bunch of obligations to comply with. So just picking one off the top of my head, advertising alcohol. If you've got a predominantly young audience, then you've got to be really careful if you're tweeting about drinking Bacardi or, or Smirnoff Vodka or something because you might get picked up as as irresponsibly like advertising to, to minors. Oh, wow. So it's not just the advertising, you've got to be careful of your content as well. And that's whether it's paid or, or unpaid. Yeah, this is like a completely separate thing. This this just comes under like responsible advertising. <sighs> so you, you may get in trouble by the ASA, but it'll probably be for a different reason. So <laughs> not wanting to just flag all the ways you get in trouble. <laughs> and the last thing I'll say for now is that we were talking about which countries' rules you should comply with. You've also got to, you read like the platform rules of wherever you're posting. Right. So face, Facebook has their own rules, uh, YouTube has their own rules, etc. But you don't necessarily, it's not necessarily enough to just comply with those. And that's because those companies, they're trying to find the middle ground themselves and they might come up with an approach which is which is cool for their own wherever they're based, like it might be US compliant, right? but their guidance might not be UK compliant. So as an example, uh, something we've come across in the past, when you upload a video to YouTube is like you get the option to tag something as sponsored and it gives like a little thumbnail type thing in the corner. But if you read the YouTube guidance, it says uh, something along the lines of, you may also have to do things to comply with the rules in your own jurisdiction. So even if you follow YouTube's tagging it as a disclosure, you may be required under like UK rules to do something a bit more, like put the tag in the in the thumbnail or in the, the video name. So it's really about getting solid with the rules of your, your local regulator and not just the rules of your platform. Again, so that's kind of not going with the, the lowest common denominator, but actually finding who's got the strictest yeah, yeah, exactly. guidance yeah. and going, going to that upper level. Yeah, because I, I can imagine if I was just posting stuff on Facebook and I would go and read Facebook's policy and I'd be like, oh, cool, I'll comply with that. 
and I think I was absolutely fine. But then you could get picked up by your, by the ASA or something, because if if they weren't high enough requirements. So just throwing it out there. Local local rules. That is good to know. That is good to know because I do think yeah the Facebook guidance is based. I've heard on obviously on US laws because that's where most of the company is based so it may be quite different i can't remember what their what facebook's tag is is it like with it was possibly it's sponsored i'm not a huge facebook user i have to say mm. but it was interesting to try out the instagram one for the first time because i hadn't even seen it in action mm. until it yeah. was on my own post yeah how did you how did you find it did you find it like intrusive to to look at or or anything like that did you find it effective i was glad to use it i think it was effective i think it gives it a sense of it kind of makes it feel a bit more respectable. Whereas previously adding it in the caption with a few hashtags felt a little bit DIY and like we were maybe breaking the rules and kind of <laughs> circumventing. Whereas now it felt a lot more kind of official and above board. And I liked that, that it was so transparent. And the response I got from my audience was really positive as well with people saying like, it's really nice to see it. Mm. There was one person, there's always one person, one person who said, well, this, you've told me this is sponsored, so now I'm not going to listen to anything you say. But yeah. it wasn't even advertorial in that sense. It was just a challenge that had been sponsored. So Yeah, well, the internet can't please everyone, even exactly. if you're trying to be above board. I mean, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be consumer friendly, but no, no. <laughs> you won't yeah. get everyone. Well, and that, I do think that is people's right, isn't it? Like in the same way that when the advert break comes on during Coronation Street, we all go make a cup of tea and decide not to watch them. We have that, that yeah. right online to say, oh, this is an ad. Actually, I'm going to skip this because my time's precious. And and to not disclose is to take that right away from people. Yeah. And I think that's that from what I've seen about the Instagram one, that's what makes it quite good is because it's like at the top of a post. Uh, so you, yeah. I guess if you really, really wanted to, you could look at the the tag and then decide, no, I'm not going to look at that picture. <laughs> I mean, if, if anyone scrolls like I do through my Twitter feed or something, then uh, you probably don't take the time to it's read every late. tag. <laughs> but it's good that that's because uh, that, that's what the rules say. Like the UK rules say you have to, to see the disclosure before the sponsored content and that's really yes. the only way that you can do that on instagram as far as i can think yeah by the the bottom of the caption with a hashtag is the opposite really of that interpretation mm. yeah and that the whole the way it became convention to use a hashtag on instagram was interesting because there was no reason for that really no one was searching hashtag sponsored going i just <laughs> want to be sold to a bit like <laughs> but i think it was about trying to make it seem a little bit less obvious I think that's probably where it started. That's just a guess on my part. So it's nice that it's come around. What about getting the hashtag ad like stuffed in, stuffed into the bottom type thing? You mean? Yeah, with the other hashtags so that it doesn't jump out at people. And I, I experimented. I, I, because I felt that, and so I, I started to write it as a full-on disclosure, like this mm. is a paid promotion or whatever, and it got more of those angry people. So people obviously did overlook it more in the hashtags. Yeah, I mean that that was the thrust of like the the FTC doesn't doesn't seem to set out like a strict rules as to where you're well they say it has to be clear and prominent but the asa goes like far and they're like put it above the read more button put it before people click on the media the ftc doesn't necessarily go that far like as explicitly saying that they're just like make it clear and prominent but the asa is really really on about getting it super upfront before people see things so so yeah that, that makes that makes sense why it's uh, the hashtag ad tucked away in the other hashtags doesn't really make sense because it didn't didn't comply with any of that stuff yeah exactly so instagram feel like they've kind of gone from being at the bottom of the pile of like mm -hmm. compliance to right at the top now and kind of a bit of a gold standard and it'd be interesting to see if places like twitter i suppose follow suit yeah i i, I wonder how much of it will come down to like analytics as to how much it affects content content engagement yeah i think it probably will well and also i suppose 
potential for monetization from their end because I suspect Instagram will have some game plan here where brands may have to pay a little bit for the benefit of using their platform for these sponsored posts at some point. Mm. I guess we'll yeah. wait and see. Yeah, we'll have have another podcast catch up in six months time. We can talk <laughs> yeah. about how, how incorrect and irrelevant all of this uh, <laughs> chat has been. Oh, no. yeah. Peter, if people are looking for legal help or representation on issues like this, what would you suggest they look for when speaking to solicitors or lawyers? So find someone that knows the industry. It's it's good because I mean people go to lawyers not just for the answer, but I mean they, they want to go to someone that's that's done it fifty times, a hundred times before. So right. someone that works in that industry every day, they'll they'll hopefully come up with an answer for you quicker, but you'll also know that it's it's like backed up on more experience. So finding someone that knows the industry is invaluable. That kind of goes whether you're doing games or, or, or anything like that. So expertise, yeah. If you can, try to get some certainty on price. I mean, there's the kind of working with lawyers is, is always a bit expensive, unfortunately. <laughs> so if you can find someone that kind of gives you like a fixed fixed price to, to do a piece of work or if they can give you like a good estimate of how much they think it's going to cost, which again, it comes back to the experience point if they've done it. 50 times before they'll typically know how much it costs to do again so i mean protect yourselves agree your price up front and don't get stuffed with a big bill and although i'd never advocate not to get legal advice you don't necessarily have to get legal advice on everything uh so so if i was to go and start an instagram channel like my risk really doesn't warrant me going out and getting expensive legal advice so so balance your audience with what you're doing against how much advice you want to go out and get you don't have to go out and get an expensive lawyer read blog posts like the excellent one you've written i mean that like good on you for for writing stuff like this Thank because you. it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort to to parse through these rules and try to make it in like a consumer friendly way and you've done just that so so read blogs there's tons of them out there from lawyers and non-lawyers so expand your knowledge try and do as much of it as you can and yeah that's what i'd say fantastic and we can contact you at just give us the name of your law firm again sure it's purewall and partners that's p-u-r-e-w-a-l and partners you can get it through googling we're undergoing like a, a website refresh at the moment so uh, so you might not have full access to it there but that's where we are. So check it out, purewellandpartners.com. And just to be clear, this isn't a sponsored endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is this is not sponsored. No. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. This has been really, really valuable. No, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, any time talking about this kind of stuff, getting what little knowledge I have out there amongst everyone else, is, I, I always love the opportunity to do it. So thank you very much for having me. Show notes for this episode are at meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 25. I really hope that that was as helpful to you as it was to me. I feel like I learned such a lot from talking to Pete. And of course, it's always nice to interview a man for this podcast for a change. If you know anyone that this podcast will be useful to, please do go ahead and share it. Let's spread the message about how these rules work and how we should be following them. And all those things that you do, you wonderful people, when you share it on stories or on Twitter or wherever you're hanging out online. Not only does it really help the podcast reach more people who can benefit from it, but it makes my day a little bit sunnier. So thank you for that and please do keep it up. I'll be back next week with a new episode and I hope you have a great seven days till then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.